Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week I'm joined by Jay Cotton. Jay is an integrative psychotherapist and joins me this week for LGBTQ plus awareness month to discuss eating disorders in the LGBTQ plus community. We talk about the traumatic experiences that individuals may have experienced but then we go on to talk about how it's really important that we change the notion that somebody's gender and sexuality can be the only determinant of their eating disorder. I'm really grateful for having this conversation with Jay and the openness that he provided to talking about his lived experience as well as the work that he does in his clinic. Hi Hannah, you are right. Yes, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. That is, I I don't know why, but I thought the jumper would just be pink, but the fact that it's every colour makes me so much happier. <laughs> yeah, I know, I got it for Christmas and I was just obsessed. I don't think I've actually really taken it off much, to be honest, which sounds really <laughs> gross actually now, but yeah, um, it's so comfy. Is it, is it fluffy? It looks kind of fluffy. It is, it's really, really fluffy, oh, so I just love it. Oh my it. God, I'm so jealous. That's like the perfect jumper for... I literally got back from skiing yesterday, like I said to you. Swear to God, it's colder here. Like, it feels so cold. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I think you've literally come back for, like, the coldest week as well, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Oh, um, dear. But I was saying to my partner, like, I don't, I didn't mind being cold last week because it was beautiful. But here mm. it's not beautiful, it's just cold. <laughs> yeah, you don't get that benefit, unfortunately. <laughs> no. Well, I'm super excited to chat to you today. Um, so, I guess to kick us off, do you just want to explain who you are, what you do, and what you're interested in? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, um, so my name, as you already know, is like Jonathan Cotter. Everyone calls me Jay. Um, I'm an integrative psychotherapist. Um, I had been working um, with a eating disorder charity, which is First Steps. Um, they're based in Derby, but they do work across like at a national level as well to a point. Um, and currently, I'm actually working in a university. I'm at De Montfort University now, um, working there as the university counsellor. And I have experience also working in a self-harm and suicide charity. Um, and I have a particular interest, um, and I'm wanting to make that sort of my specialist interest, really, of looking at working with the queer community, the LGBTQ plus community in particular, um, around these sorts of subjects and as we know it's quite big um for for my community as well as i'm part of that community Mm -hmm. um it's those sorts of subjects are big in our community so i'd love to do more work in that area and that's also been um well not specifically eating disorder but what it's also been my focus um looking at the queer community in my master's uh dissertation as well so it's been really really good to get into that area and i want to continue it basically Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. And I think it's, it's so needed. I mean, I think all areas of eating disorders are needed. But Mm. I think in particular, um, the LGBTQ plus community are often, I think, there's a and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd be interested to um, hear what you think about this. But I think when you're working with a therapist or getting support for something um, like an eating disorder or your mental health, I think 
being part of the LGBTQ plus community is such a big part of your identity mm. that actually having a therapist that maybe doesn't align with that or doesn't understand the kind of amplitude that it the impact that it has um, on your day to day life mm. and the things that it kind of intertwines with I think it is really important to work with somebody that not necessarily is part of the queer community but has ex- like experience in that and understands it and I think there's just a lot of because, and I know we'll get onto this because of the stigma and the discrimination and things like that, mm. I think all of that then ties in together with, you know, the de- possible development of an eating disorder or mental health condition. And I think if you were to just walk into a eating disorder service for, let's say, a cisgendered individual, it's got a lot of nuance missing that I think would be really important to to discuss. No, definitely. Yeah. And I think you're right, like with the it's very important for I think practitioners to have that level of understanding and training about the different nuances that come with this community, my community mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and obviously myself identifying as a queer person, I feel that there is that sort of already, um, if you will, that layer has been dropped between me and the client who I'm seeing in front mm-hmm. of me. But at the same time, that's, it's not like resting on my laurels. It's about continuing my um my development in understanding around that as well as I only identify as a cis gay man there's so many different um different identities in our community that it's good mm-hmm. to have that understanding in total and I think it is very important for everybody to be able to have that understanding and how it links to these different topics and spe- especially when it comes to eating disorders mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I really like what you said there about like your own development and stuff, because even if you are, you know, part of the queer community, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to understand exactly what that other person is going mm, through. You know? yeah. You're know, you not just then all automatically thrown into one bucket, which I think is, is what we see in eating disorders a lot. It's like you have this one diagnosis, therefore mm. you deserve, you're going to have this sort of treatment, like you have this, um, you know, you're this gender or um this uh, sexuality therefore you know that must be the way um but I think it would be interesting to talk about we just mentioned it there the nuances that that come up and obviously I don't want to just kind of say like broad stroke you know this is all the nuances for everyone but in your practice have you noticed any maybe common themes that have come up that you think practitioners should be aware of um, I would say that it's it's hard to say, I guess, with common themes, but I think um, when you look at sort of the experiences of the queer community, especially, I suppose, like from my sort of generation, that with the new generations coming out now mm. as well, there will be the same similarities and differences, but... Um, so that was my sort of, if you will, way to say that I don't like the term common um, things yeah, between it there, but yeah, because we should always <laughs> see what the person's coming up with, but yeah, Absolutely. for sure, I think exactly what you're saying there with the the nuances that we might see between people um is is those things that's like those sort of big traumas big t traumas small t traumas mm-hmm. I, I love that phrase that I've, I've picked up i can't remember where i picked it up but the big t traumas and the small t traumas that's, that might be more unique to um the queer community so like if we're looking at big t traumas that could be like significant losses that they might have experienced so the usual common practice ones that most people might have um may experience it's not just limited to the queer community um disasters but then we're just looking at more specific like around um, abuse and violence that might be more specific to um the lgbtq plus community such as like discrimination stigma um the potential for family rejection 
um, dismissing of their identity, homophobia, but then also those smaller T traumas that we might consider as well. Um, that might be those things like microaggressions, those softer ones that might go under the radar, the lack of acceptance and understanding. So it might not be so, um, if you will, in the face of that person, but it's it's almost the, the removal, the, um, 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 I can't say the word, the um, the absence of mm-hmm. of that of something instead or just hearing um, someone speak ill of the queer community so it might be more those like indirect messages it's not it's necessarily aimed at them it might be aimed at um, somebody else but it feels still heavy and um, very hard and real for that person yeah hmm. I think what I think is really interesting and I'm literally just saying, thinking this as as I'm speaking it out loud, because I do think it is so important that we we do explore the nuances of different communities. But part of me thinks is sort of like trying to dissect it down and kind of you know label all of these nuances as why somebody within the community you know may be more susceptible to an eating disorder. I think when when we boil it down, whether somebody is male, female, transgender, like no matter mm. what, I think we've we've said this before, like eating disorders don't discriminate and they can affect mm-hmm. everyone. And I, I had a similar conversation with a friend um, because it was, I think it was during male mental health week. And we was, he was saying how like, you know, it's really good to shout about the fact that men get eating disorders too, but almost by saying mm. like men get eating disorders too, you're make, you you kind of make it sound like it's like new information or like, you know, it, it's something that needs to be said, whereas it should just be like, everyone gets an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I'm not trying to like say that, um, everything that we're saying isn't valid at all because I think it completely Mm. is but I think since over time my my mentality has shifted from like we need to be saying you know like trans people get eating disorders too gay people get eating disorders too to just it's not kind of discriminatory to everybody and actually Mm. we can't we could sit here and say you know um Joe Bloggs gets an eating disorder because they um kind of they're a gay man but then it's like but they've not got an eating disorder because they're a gay man they've got an eating disorder because of the pressures or the stigma that have been put on them that I yes. don't know it, it almost feels do you, am I explaining myself right yeah I I think I, I with me what I'm hearing there is like you said um it's not discriminatory it it can happen and and most likely will happen to anybody really mm-hmm. depending on the circumstances of their life what they're going through and I I can I think that's where I agree is that it should be and I think it's that perfect world scenario isn't it really mm-hmm. of like looking at it's like if in a perfect world we could look at it and go this would happen to anyone. Same with other aspects of thinking about eating mm-hmm. disorders, but then, you know, we could say the same for like self-harm or um, addiction, yeah. those sorts of things. It's very non-discriminatory. It can happen to anyone. Um, and I think the way that I would like to say is like, without us being in that perfect world, unfortunately, um, we do have those difficulties where it is almost like um, I'm putting quotation marks here pigeonholed if you will Mm -hmm. because of stereotypes that it is um, a female problem Mm -hmm. or it's it's a uh, a straight female problem or stuff like this Um, 
or heterosexual female problem sorry mm-hmm. um and actually what that can lead to do then is like it might lead to maybe misdiagnosis or it might mm-hmm. lead to underreporting. and i suppose that's the difficulties we might see with a with the queer community is that people might feel that they either can't come forward with this because it's it's not for them again those mm-hmm. quotation marks um or that they might not even recognize it because it's not spoken about enough and i think sure. that's a danger as well yeah I think like you've knocked the nail on the head there and and as I was speaking I was actually thinking it's I think I've almost had a shift in my brain in that it's not that we need to maybe pinpoint or like you know focus on why somebody might develop an eating disorder but it's about okay they've they've developed disordered eating symptoms or they've got an eating disorder how can we make them feel seen and heard and provide a treatment for them that is applicable to them that makes them feel safe that makes you know that that kind of says to them we can see that there's an issue here and you are valid in this rather than kind of only certain people going forward for treatment and then even if someone does go forward for treatment going into the treatment facility and then being like this is this is just not like this isn't doesn't align with me and like I'm not really um feeling like I can be heard mm. um because I think that is the issue at the moment like you said we I think there's a big stigma that eating disorders only affect you know young heterosexual women mm. or gay men um and if you have an eating disorder and you're a man then obviously you must be gay mm-hmm. um and I think so I think that's where the sort of next pieces of work need to be in terms of debunking those stigmas Mm -hmm. and making sure that when people do come forward there's a place for them to go rather than them being turned around because you know they don't feel that they don't fit the stereotypes we assume Mm, definitely and I I think um, exactly what you said there with the the idea that if um, a person who is um, I'm like a male person who is experiencing eating disorder there is that assumption that is made then that they must be gay because mm. that is classed as like a gay man's um, condition I say the word condition that's not the right word at all but it is what would be associated with gay men like mm. you said young straight women and actually when we're thinking about more so especially more modernly as well when we're looking at heterosexual men there is now a push to be more um in society and the media and stuff like that to feel that you have to have this certain image it's not now just mm-hmm. if you will gatekept um by what the media says is for gay men and, and straight young women it's it's pushing it on on for males as well and it's i feel like it's starting to have that impact more people are feeling it and hopefully that will start a, like a ripple message to for people to start to realize it's it's it can happen to everyone like you've said it's non-discriminating yeah and I think that's great um, in terms of, you know, more and more people are speaking out about it. So hopefully more and more people will realise, oh, you know, maybe this is something that I am struggling with and I am worthy of, of support. But I was just thinking there as well in terms of social media, I think the whole of social media, there is pressure to look and be a certain way. Do you think there's any unique characteristics within the LGBTQ plus and, and the queer community that kind of influence the way that people should look and, and therefore could potentially influence an eating disorder? I think so. I think um, I think we've kind of already said the idea like um, this sort of thing is, is it's across the board, isn't it, for, mm. for any sort of um, 
group or of form of uh, people or group of people that might be captured on the media and the dramatized aspects of that culture but um i suppose for queer people we often i suppose not not as much more modernly but like i said from my time growing up in my teenhood uh, queer people are often seen in a, a sexualized manner um mm. with this traumatic upbringing or coming out experience um, that then leads on to various coping strategies such as eating disorders but other ones as well like drugs self-harm and stuff like that um and i remember in my teens watching like queerest folk when seeing these um like attractive gay men engaging continuously in sex and thinking well that must be it that must be what i have to aspire to be um mm. and i think now like that's like what kind of message is that um i remember feeling quite shameful in myself and thinking you know i'm not like that so i must not be good enough i mm. i'm not a real gay if you will mm -hmm. quotation marks again um and i think that's the hard part as well is that i i like this idea of an internalized queer shame which is like mm. a unique factor for like all queer people must face during their identity process is not just about being gay it's about it's also about not being the right gay or, mm -hmm. or gay enough, again, quotation marks. So mm -hmm. we can often feel quite ostracized by the straight world and the heterosexual world and even our own communities. And I think that's when we see eating disorders come in because we notice that people look to want to change themselves to try and be seen, to fit in, to feel mm -hmm. accepted and loved, whatever that might entail. Yeah. And I suppose that's a really difficult cycle, isn't it? If I guess you don't feel like you fit in for such a long period of time and then you finally realize oh shit <laughs> mm. I think it's because you know I'm queer or whatever and so then you think oh great I found this community and then everybody is then trying to change themselves to fit in to that community and so then mm. you think oh like I thought I'd found my place and now I need to change myself again and I can imagine that I mean you know I think maybe that is sort of how the world works anyway but then with just additional levels mm. um which just makes it so difficult to ever feel settled in your own body and I think you would constantly be trying to adapt that and again I don't want this to sound sort of like out of turn this is just based on kind of you know my observations um of friends and stuff but do you think there's quite a lot of sort of like body image pressure to to be a certain way like from from friends that I've got that are gay um they've they try and fit a certain body type so that's either very mm. slim um or very masculine sort of you know if we think about the stereotypical masculine figure that like broad kind of big um mm. going to the gym sort of thing and I feel like that's like an additional pressure that would then lead to potential disorder behaviors no, definitely. And I think I'm really glad that you picked up on that, really. It's this idea of that there is, there's almost um, these subtypes within mm. the queer community that then have almost like their own rules for fitting in mm. and to feel accepted and connected. And, you know, that sense of belonging that they're searching for as part of their identity process um, as becoming this queer, authentic self that they are. They're striving for connection and belonging. And now they're in this community, they're in, they have to find their sub community 
which is, you know, where do I fit? Am I, you know, as the examples that you said there, like that drive for thinness. So is it like the twink side? I'm speaking more specifically here for gay men, I guess. Um, Drive for muscularity, like what we might people call like the gym rats, gym bunnies, bulls, wolves, all those sorts of ones. And then there's those that find belonging through a bigger body size or having hair growth, you know, the bears and the otters and it's i think the connection and belonging aspect is wonderful and it's beautiful but i think for the queer community it can and may sometimes come with that cost of feeling driven to these body aesthetics in order to achieve it in order to feel that feel worthy feel good enough um and to find love and i think that's really upsetting that they feel and i've i've felt in my past they need to change they need to change ourselves in that way yeah this, I'm just asking this as like a, a a general question, but like, is it a thing that you kind of, you have to find a subtype or is it just that pressure to find a subtype to fit in? Um, you know, do you have to be one of those that you've just explained there? Um, mm. Or kind of how, how would that go? I, I mean, I've not, I've heard of certain ones before, but I had not heard of all of them. So it's interesting to yeah. hear so many. No, definitely. And I think um, I think you've raised a good point there is this idea of um, part of the stuff I did in my undergrad, actually, for my psychology um, degree was looking at um, gay community integration and looking at the, if you will, the, the varying spectrum of sexual orientation and, and body image and body mm. image dissatisfaction. And gay community integration was one thing that came up quite a lot and whether it was actually helpful or harmful mm. to this aspect of our own um, body image dissatisfaction and the there was if you will conflicting evidence either side saying that you know being connected can help you to feel um, that you're part of a community that accepts you for who you are but at mm-hmm. the same time on the other spin of it is that there is that push to then meet what that community mm-hmm. is saying so it's it's very conditional a conditional sort of sense of belonging at times um, and I, I think that's quite upsetting to to mm. see really is that it feels again these people have been made to if we think about before these um queer people came out they were probably in a sense of in that conditional form of belonging already where you have to be straight or heterosexual mm. to feel loved to be accepted and now it's repeating itself where they have to meet a certain body image they have to meet maybe certain aspects of themselves to feel that love and acceptance mm. yeah and I think that's that's such a hard place to be, isn't it? When body image kind of becomes en- like enwrapped around approval from others, and I think mm. that often in in recovery, um, and when we think about body images, it's being able to say to yourself, "I am enough," of you know the way that I am, yes. or "I am enough." Was it enough? Enough. <laughs> As your jumper, <laughs> Kenneth, as your jumper so nice. I never, never know how to say it. I'm always like, I am, it should be Kenneth, but Kenneth just sounds really weird. Oh. It does, yeah, but that's fine. I'm, I'm saying it every other way, really, every now and then. <laughs> um, but then I think that, 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 like you said, that makes it so difficult when there's already kind of these predefined groups or subtypes for you to go into. And it's doesn't really make it possible to have that self-assurance it's kind of you are relying on others to welcome you in and 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 Mm. accept you so it does sound really difficult in terms of you know being okay with the skin that you're in 
Yeah, exactly. I think again, that's that's it, isn't it? It's the idea of that it's still remaining external. That that mm. that drive for love, that drive for validation, is still external. It's just if you will switch communities, switch to a different group, um, and we're looking at that way. That, as I said before, though, there is. Um, I think you, the question you asked before was about if you know if they feel that they need to actually have to be part mm. of one of those subtypes and the answer is no i'm mm. not i wouldn't class myself as you know um a person who's identifying in a certain subtype but it's i think it's sometimes for some people it can help them feel connected or help mm. them give them a sense of identity um that then other people can understand and work with um and i, I think sometimes these uh, like they said these subtype titles um can sometimes be harmful as well as helpful in that aspect so yeah it's it's really interesting um and I hope that people don't mind me making this comparison but in relation to eating disorders I've I found a similar thing in that so I went to a body dysmorphia conference a few months back Mm -hmm. and it was amazing to go and to hear other people's stories I guess this is slightly different because you know the body dysmorphia is something that I definitely absolutely don't want in my life and that has has really detrimented my life Mm. but in a way because the nature of body dysmorphia is to compare so much it was then you know it was it was so nice to connect people with but equally it made me feel so bad about myself because I was then just comparing myself to everybody else and obviously it's very it's very very different in terms of like gender and sexuality but i think it's almost it's that that labeling i think and i think labels can be so important and they you know they are so important to de- like define our identity and to build up who we are mm. but i think sometimes when they are only label it can become quite detrimental and i think I think that with everything, like even if I was going to say I am, you know, like something that's perceived as really, really good, like to have that as my only identity, I don't think would be very good because then if that goes, it's then a negative for you. And I think maybe that's what I was trying to get to before um, with the, you know, the different labels Mm. is that it's really good to have it. But if your only label is I am a gay man or you know I am a gay woman or whatever if you're not then accepted in that circle necessarily or you know other people kind of don't accept you in that group probably not just the label's fault but I think if you had other kind of outlets you know maybe you're a climber or a swimmer or a writer or whatever you've got other Mm. things about you that allow you to be you and I think that is then I'm rambling on here, but that's mm. what I found personally to be so helpful to, to my eating sort of recovery is that I'm not yeah. just Hannah the anorexic yes. or I'm not just Hannah the person that goes to the gym or Hannah the whatever. There's yeah. so many more things to me now that losing one, mm. uh, as in the eating disorder, basically what I'm trying to say in the long run that I've absolutely rambled on forever about is I think if your only labels were the eating disorder and your gender or your sexuality, that's going to make recovery really difficult but to have lots of different labels so that if you have to lose any of them 
It's so, so hard. I rambled so yeah. hard there. I'm so no, sorry. No, no. <laughs> I think that was a really good way of capturing that, though. The idea of like, and I think it was brilliant that you've you've uh, you brought your own experiences there around, like you said, body dysmorphia. And I think you're right. It is the idea of strict labels can be so. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the word I guess minimizing I can't even say the word minimizing or restricting I guess in a way that it doesn't allow that fluidity or the flexibility of ourselves to grow to change and I always encourage people to hold on to titles or anything like that or labels names um, or even uh, identity pieces personality Mm -hmm. pieces hold on to them gently um, because we're always changing and even in the case of sexual orientation identity or gender identity you know we might still be in a process of change we're always in a process of change i came out as a bisexual person when in my process and then i moved on to becoming a gay person and that doesn't mean to say that you know i had it wrong or whatever this is my that's my obviously my journey but it's Mm -hmm. about holding on to it gently because down the road it might change again you might find something else out about yourself and similarly with eating disorders as you've said Again, it's it's about knowing that you're you're more than your eating disorder. Mm. There's there's in the bag of who you are. There's more than just that one label. There's there's so much in that bag that's so crazy and wonderful and and just brilliant. And it's is knowing, like you said, there that some parts might drop off at times and mm-hmm. some parts might come back in. If your eating disorder is in there, holding on to it too tightly, you're going to see more and more of your other parts of yourself drop off because it's filling the bag. It's filling the bag full. There's nothing else that can fit. Whereas if you're starting to include other things, that will start to get smaller. And I think that's that's a really great way, I think, of looking at it and very much in line with, with what I would like to do with clients or what I do with clients, actually, in mm-hmm. terms of understanding their values and what they see in themselves. Identity work, I think, is so amazing. Mm-hmm. I love working on their identity. It's. I mean, this is a bit of a tangent to what we're discussing today, but like this has been my like last few months have massively been like relearning who I am as a person I've I've had anorexia for about 12 years so it's it's kind of you know a scary process and at the start it was like oh my god well who who the hell am I without an eating disorder Mm. and it's been so interesting and it's almost like subconscious in that the more the eating disorder kind of goes away and I say the eating disorder goes away because I don't feel like I'm letting go. I mm. am letting go. But for me, um, I had a therapy session the other day and it was like a chair session. And the eating disorder actually said to me, she doesn't need me anymore. And I can see that she's okay now and I'm I'm going to back off. And that's mm. almost what it feels like to me is the eating disorder backing off. But the more that it's backed off, the more space I have for other things. Mm-hmm. And just like naturally, I'm more engaged in conversation and more able to do other things. Like there's no way in hell a few months ago I would have been able to go skiing because perfectionism would have been so high. I wouldn't <sighs> have been able to deal with the food. I wouldn't have had the energy. I would have been yeah. so cold. And it's just so interesting. Like the the more that it goes, the more space you actually do have. Like it literally mm-hmm. feels like it was taking up physical space. Um and you start to explore more about you. You know, you you might 
it might be that your eating disorder for so long has been suppressing your exploration of your sexuality and you might start to find out different things about yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be scary um, because you're faced with all this new information that you then need to process, but also like how amazing to almost be relearning who you are. And I guess in a way, obviously I don't know because I've not had this personal experience, but I would imagine that once you start to kind of lower down the reins, maybe if you do start to think about your sexuality, by kind of taking that kind of pressure off to keep it in a tight box, it almost allows you to explore it even further and and kind of think about Mm. things that you've never even been able to think about before. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose to start off with, but I'm just your session that you described there, it sounded, it sounded very impactful just for me. It felt like it touched mm-hmm. me that you were describing your therapy session. So thank you for sharing that. Um, but I think, yeah, it's completely, I think it is that idea of allowing ourselves to to see what else is there and i know as human beings we don't like empty space uh, mm. especially inside of us we don't you know the idea of something getting smaller we're, we're feeling that there's going to be something that's not there then there's so much space and we want to fill it with something um, but that's a good thing and it's exciting to to learn more about yourself it's scary of course it's scary mm. to to not know who you might be without this and we i suppose we cling on to it because of the familiarity and and the comfort and i say comfort in terms of the comfort of what we know that we don't want to lose it and it's the same like you said there when it comes to the queer community we we're i think when we be part of the process of that identity um development is you know looking to know who we are as a person but then who we are as a person amongst all these other um, layers of society layers of our of our of our social groups our support groups you know we have our families we have our friends we have work colleagues we have the wider um, region that we live in society as a whole how do we fit into all of that and I suppose amongst that process it can be very hard to let go mm-hmm. of what we know and for that person especially those people that maybe have gone through discrimination stigma abuse mm-hmm it can be hard to let go because they've been told that they will be on their own if they let go. <laughs> and so they're going to cling on to what they, what they can and they're going to hold on to that. And if it's, if part of that is holding on to things that help them cope, which might be aspects of eating food, um, body image, how they view themselves. And it can be very hard for them to actually think about that disappearing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting almost, you know, using the eating disorder as a way to cope with the maybe uncomfort or kind of to suppress to like those feelings and stuff. And I'm just wondering there, like, I think we do still exi- um, exist in a society where there is so much stigma towards um, people's sexuality and their gender. And I don't know. I say this in the best way that like the kindest way possible but it's almost how I've tried to see speaking about my eating disorder and that the more that I speak about it and my recovery and all of that the more open I am it's more normalized and other people can then kind of speak out about their experience and it almost mm-hmm. makes me feel the same about kind of you know exploring your gender and your sexuality and that the more people speak about it the more other people will then be able 
to feel that they can speak about it as well because we totally mm. should be able to you know it's there's nothing to be ashamed or stigmatized about it but mm. do you have any sort of tips for people if they are if they do feel maybe that their eating disorder is being used to suppress that maybe those thoughts or, or those emotions um that's a really good question <laughs> in terms of looking for tips um i think i guess it's about understanding the core aspects underneath uh, that eating disorder what mm. is it actually providing us um, a lot of the time when we have these coping strategies so whether it is eating disorders or something else um, they at one point in our lives were something that helped us survive mm. um, they were there for a reason it didn't just pop up out of nowhere it, it was there to help us survive that's all our bodies and all as human beings really care about is survival innately if you will um you know more consciously we want happiness of course but our bodies um and humanity as itself is all about survival and it will have adapted that method to ensure that we we live and we keep going and having that understanding of what started maybe this process what was it maybe that's you know set this this thing in motion and what, what made us turn to food what did what did food represent to us what did our bodies represent to us maybe um can be helpful then to think about how we now see that now do we still see it that way do a sort of you know then and now and now and then sort of comparison in terms of what our needs were back then when that happened what's meeting those needs now what what are we looking at right now that was not being met then but maybe is being met now or could be met now again that word could i think is really nice because it's more mm. of a flexible word um we're looking at things that could meet our needs um, and providing multiple aspects to meet that needs as well same as we've said about holding on to labels if we hold on to one way of coping mm-hmm. Uh, an alternative way to eating disorders it, if we are unable to do that to meet our needs then we're left again in that sort of that absence that space mm-hmm. that we don't like providing multiple methods can be really helpful so having that understanding of that need what, what started that process of the eating disorder and now looking more presently what what can we do to meet that need now what what am i already doing to meet that need or who is meeting that need right now if it's a person or maybe it's a a pet for instance i've got two cats that meet so many needs of mine and they also (laughs) provide um uh difficulties as well of course pets always do but um they oh yeah they meet so many needs like it doesn't have to be a person it can be an animal it can be Mm -hmm. it could be a tree it could be a plant it could be whatever that can provide you with those needs and give yourself many Mm, give yourself so so many (laughs) you know I think we've shared cat pictures but I genuinely am just amazed as to how my cats have helped me so much um Mm. Onyx is literally sat behind me right now probably (laughs) hear him scratching my chair um but it's like you say it's just so lovely I think it's that unconditional love um that you have from pets they do cause difficulties as well but for some reason I never get angry at them like Topaz literally pooed on the floor yesterday and I'm just like oh oopsie daisy that's a shame whereas like if my partner pooed on the floor I'd be like excuse me (laughs) you Um, know better (laughs) yeah literally um but I think you're so right and and I guess with that in mind um I don't know I feel like it is kind of just we need more eating disorder methods like treatment methods in general Mm. but if there are therapists listening and they're thinking you know I don't 
I don't have experience um, within the LGBTQ plus community myself and I'm supporting a client and I can see that that's a difficulty. What would your advice be there? Like, do you think that you need to have that experience or is it enough to sort of, you know, have an awareness of it's going on for them and then support someone through it? I think it can be. Um, it, I think it all depends on really what's what is actually in that presentation for that specific client. Again, for myself being quite person-centered as well as part of my mm. um, practice, it's, it is about noticing is, is their identity actually an impacting factor, a, a contributing factor to mm. maybe the seating disorder? We shouldn't assume it always is. Um, it might not be. That person could be well um, within their authentic self already as the queer person they are, and that might be okay for them. But having that extra layer of knowledge of what might be there um, for that person who I, who is part of our community can be very much helpful then if it does pop up for that person and not being afraid to ask the question as well um, like if they have told you um, that they identify as a queer person being very open and just asking how how has being a queer person maybe um been for you like how how's that process of like finding out who you are has, has that anything has anything related to maybe some of the things we've talked about with what you've mentioned around um your eating disorder would you mm-hmm. say anything is related or not but they will, are obviously the expert of their experience they'll very clearly tell you if it's not the case and you know we know that sometimes clients might not always be as honest with us straight away but we can only go with what they tell us and if they if they say it is or if it isn't that's you have a start but I would always encourage people to learn and to to go out there and to find out more information they can if there's any training that's put on them please do get involved and and take part in that training because it is it can provide that extra layer of understanding um and if I was to ask, not ask, so if I was to give an extra maybe bit of tip as well is, is for myself, um, if I was in a room with a client, just maybe in not obviously my I am Knuff top, but my in my actual wear when I wear when I'm with clients, um, they wouldn't know me or my identity at all. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes can be a barrier for people who might be part of that community um, and knowing whether they are in a safe place to talk about that and so I wear like the rainbow lanyard I want them to know Mm -hmm. that this is a safe place and you don't have to be um, part of the community you can be an ally you can be an understanding person and a person who wants to know and help and understand our community you don't have to be part of it to be able to wear that and to to put that in your room or to you know so even if it's something subtle just yeah. so they can go oh because they will look they will look around mm-hmm. clients always look around and they will <laughs> notice and they will see it and then they will be like oh okay well they've got this in their room so this might be a safe place for me to discuss this and you might not even have to ask the questions then because they might feel open to telling you and I think that's I think that's probably the best way it's about that sort of what we put out there I can't think of the word or what describes it but you know what it's, it's almost like that sort of advertising myself as being a safe space mm. I think that's absolutely brilliant I think that's such good advice and I I love the fact that you said there um because I think this is what I was trying to say earlier when I went on my ramble but it didn't quite come out is that just because somebody um is part of the community we shouldn't assume that that is what 
has led to them having an eating disorder. Um, And I think it's, it's the same kind of with everything. Like I remember when I went for treatment and then they'd be like, okay, so tell me about your childhood. And it's like, okay, well, maybe like you got bullied at school therefore that must have been the cause of your eating disorder or like you had you know you had a troubled childhood or whatever or what have you and it's like well actually like it could have been absolutely none of that and Mm -hmm. realistically like let's not look at what caused it let's look at like what's maintaining it now and how we can fix that um and like you said you know they might not know your identity so obviously great like to put something around your room but equally they might not have advertised it to you mm-hmm. um so you know I think it's really good that we're kind of opening this up more to say let's not just assume that based on someone's identity that's what caused their eating disorder um mm-hmm. I think that is a brilliant kind of conclusion for mm-hmm. the podcast so thank you so much for sharing that no definitely no and um uh, it's been brilliant uh, and I'm, I'm, i can only hope that people um will go forward and to feel more compelled to feel like create more of a safe place and i know they will every if it's the therapist i'm speaking of here in particular they will have their safe places in their rooms of course they will but if they can make it even a tiny bit more safer for that queer person then that's doing the world for them yeah, absolutely just to finish us off um are there any resources or anything that you can think of off the top of your head I know I'm putting you on the spot here um (laughs) for people um within the LGBTQ plus community to access you know if they are struggling with eating disorders and disordered eating I think it's with it I think this is the difficulty is because we have our eating disorder services that I can advertise um, and I will advertise obviously first steps that I've worked with before as an eating disorder charity because they are so amazing at what they do and they I enjoyed working with them so so much and I, now I've left and I have missed them and I'm actually I already said to them that I'm going to be coming back in the future at some point so don't <laughs> don't get rid of me on all your your mailing list and stuff like that um so I would definitely obviously promote them as much as I can but um I think it's tricky in terms of maybe specialist eating disorder services mm. for lgbtq plus community off the top of my head i don't think i actually can even provide one unfortunately and maybe that says a lot for myself and where i need to go out and actually check my resources really um but all i would say is to look at the your the local communities and most communities tend to have an lgbt network or support network Mm. um and I say that in terms of the uh, like sort of organizations, charities and communities in, in their areas, feel free to lean on them for extra information, um, connect with them, um, just you know, have those sorts of resources for yourself, not just for your clients, so that you're in the know of what might be helpful, what you can suggest and, and signpost on to, because there's, there, is, there is quite a lot going on um, mm. in some communities, I would say, some regions, not all, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, really tap into that resource that's around you, as well as the sort of um, eating disorder charities that we know so like we've got obviously beat we've got first steps and i believe actually it's been a while like i said not working with them anymore but i think they are coming together i want to say i'm sure i saw something before i left saying they're working together now um I don't know and first steps. Beat and, i think it's talk ed oh talk ed yes it is yeah. sorry i'm getting my my organizations mixed <laughs> no, up there we go <laughs> yes talk ed that's it yeah so another one to promote as well so talk ed is brilliant there we go. yeah so that's definitely what I would suggest I think one thing that you've definitely highlighted there is that there needs to be more resources you know if there's not something 
there's not a specific organization off the top of your head that you can think of as a practitioner and also somebody that's within the community I think that shows that the resources are lacking so we definitely Mm. need more there um but thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to speak to you and thank you for bringing your own experience as well that was really good to kind of explore that with you so really appreciate it well thank you so much Hannah for having me it's been I've really really enjoyed this um it's been brilliant yeah so thank you for the invite if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe eating disorders are crippling illnesses but with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope you enjoyed this episode but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust